Can I give you a freebie really fast? I was thinking um, as we were worshiping just now and thinking about you and how I've prayed for you guys this week. Some of you this week have um, been in a fight where the fight is bigger than the fighter. You ever have a week like that? Where it's like, man, Lord, I love you, but this is bigger than me right now. I've prayed for some of you this week as you've said goodbye in this life to loved ones. I've prayed for you this week as you have been in work situations that are bigger than your ability to get through said work situations. Um, and here's what, here's what the Lord kind of brought to my mind. In the story of Jonah, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Jonah gets swallowed by a large fish. And this is not the sermon, by the way. If you want to go ahead and turn to the sermon we're going to get to, it's in 1 John 3. Jonah gets swallowed by a large fish. And he's sitting there in the belly of this fish. And he says, I praise the Lord for he delivered me from the deeps. The crazy part about that is he's actually in the deeps when he's praising the Lord for delivering him from the deeps. If you feel like you are in the deeps today, understand that the Lord sometimes delivers us from the depths, and sometimes the Lord delivers us in the depths. And so often, like Nick said, we want the victory to look like, like, I like to script my victories, you know, but the Lord doesn't allow that. But he does promise that he delivers us in the depths, not always from the depths. So if you feel like today you are in the depths, understand that the Lord has not forgotten you. He sees you, and he is delivering you in the battle, maybe not necessarily from the battle at this moment. So that was all free. Let's move forward. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 John 3. Uh, I want you to know that we're in the middle of a series called Dear Church, really small, little short little series, uh, where we're just trying to be reminded. Uh, like, I want this series to almost be like God speaking some things to us, hopefully, it doesn't mean that I'm God's mouthpiece or anything like that. But during the course of the week, I try to hear from the Lord and hear what he wants to say to us, particularly where we are in this season of our journey. And, uh, and I also, we, we name this series this because we need to be reminded that we are dear to God. That we are dear to God. If you hear nothing else today, Christian, not yet Christian, totally unconvinced skeptic here today, that you matter to God and that his church matters fiercely to him. The church matters very deeply to God, so much so that he sent his son to die for us, as we'll see today. So we're going to start today with scripture. Usually we try to start with a story, but we're not going to do that today. We're just going to jump right into the verses. First John chapter 3, we're just going to read verses 23 and 24. I believe we're going to put them up here on the screen. Uh, but if you, if you don't have a paper Bible and you want one, we always want people to bring them. We want to encourage you to write in them. That's okay. It's not a sin, as we've talked about this year, to write in your Bible and mark up and see stuff and underline and all that. But if you ever want a paper Bible, we've got some out there. There's large print, small print for all uh, visual sizes. This week I was talking to Noah Carson and he was like, dad, it's right here. And I was like, oh man, I'm getting old. Like I was, whole, I like had to literally hold it like this. So if you have to hold stuff like this, we've even got a print size for you out in the lobby. Feel free to take one off the shelf on your way out. First John chapter three, verses 23 and 24. And this John says, and John is now an old man. John was probably the youngest of the 12 disciples. And now he's an old man. And he's writing to a network of churches and he says this, and this is God's commandment. Now, whenever I hear this, whenever the Bible says, this is what God told me to do, I try to perk up. I don't know about you, but like when a teacher would say in school, and this is going to be on the test, 
you better believe I wrote it down and memorized it word for word. And I hate it when the professors lied about that or the teachers try to zing me and trick me because if they said, this is gonna be on the test, I wrote it down. And John says, look, and this is a commandment. So immediately our ears ought to perk up. And he says, and this is God's commandment. What's God command me to do? What am I supposed to do? Number one, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just like he commanded us. Now, when you, maybe you're like this, I'm definitely like this. When I think about what God commands me to do, I think he commands me not to get mad at Sullivan Square and I continue to fail in that over and over at that rotary. I think he commands me to be patient with my kids and play board games with them at night rather than let them play video games while I just put on Netflix and put my brain like into, like I think that God commands me to do a lot of things that God doesn't necessarily command me to do. But here it says, and this is his commandment. This is what he wants us to do, to believe and to love each other. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love each other just as he commanded us. It goes on in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. And I love that word abide. This word probably made more sense to me, honestly, once I became a dad. And there would be times when my kids were sick, especially Noah, because Noah is not a snuggler. And you knew he was sick when he would kind of crawl up onto us and take a nap on us. That idea of abiding is this idea of like us abiding in the Lord, kind of crawling up onto him, into him, and just resting and knowing that he's got us, that we may be weak and not enough, but he is enough and he is strong. And so uh, we abide in him when we keep this commandment to believe and to love one another. And by this, we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us, his spirit living in us. So this is the commandment, John says, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, like if I said today, hey, how many of you believe in Jesus? I think probably all of us on some level would raise our hand. I used to have a friend named Aaron. Aaron did, he was like, I don't believe that Jesus ever existed. I was like, then you are a really intellectually dishonest person. Because even the most atheistic study, like student of history would say, there was a man named Jesus Christ who lived in first century Palestine in the Roman Empire and died on a Roman cross. Now what happened after that is up for debate and the effects of it certainly matter to our faith. But when we most, most of us should believe that Jesus existed. But that's not what John is saying when he says believe in Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is more like dive into Jesus Christ. Give everything in believing in Jesus Christ. Miles, help me unlock this chair if I can. These things, yeah, you're the man. Thank you. I never can remember which way they locked. It's one thing to know some, about someone. It's another thing to know someone. It's one thing to believe that this chair is going to hold me up from right here. That's easy. It's when I go and I sit down on this thing that I truly express my confidence, my belief that this thing is going to hold me up. And what John says here is not believe in Jesus. He says, believe in Jesus. Rest your whole life in him. Rest your eternity in him. Rest your hope in this life. Rest, your, rest everything that you are and everything you've got in him. Rest, lean in, believe into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and then love one another. 
Belief leads to love. It's not that this is a tandem commandment that we'll stand before God one day and he's going to say, did you believe? And we're going to be like, yep, I believed. And then he's going to say, oh, but I saw how you didn't like that cousin of yours who uh, broke your Lego set when you were a kid. So you're out, go to hell, have a nice eternity. Uh, Hope it's not too hot for you down there. This commandment to love is the overflow of this commandment to believe. When we figure out this one and we say, I'm believing into Jesus, then the natural overflow of what God does in our lives by his spirit as we abide is he helps us, he empowers us, he fuels our love for one another. The times where I'm the most loving and forgiving are the times where I'm walking the most closely with Jesus. The times where I'm the most impatient, unforgiving, hostile, angry, ugly, passive-aggressive, passive-aggressive, meanie, cursing, cursing in my mind, thinking awful things I would love to post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook about other people and how dumb everybody else is on planet Earth except for me and the people I love. The times where I'm struggling the most with loving one another are the times where I'm believing in Jesus, but not believing into Jesus. And God has commanded us. This is the commandment. Believe into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, and loving one another will flow out of that. It flows out of that. If you're struggling to love someone in your life, let me encourage you to come back over to this one and believe, lean into Jesus and his love and grace this morning. They're not parallel things. Believe, then love. Believe and love follows. Believe and love for others will be the evidence of your faith. I don't have to love. Like, you want to know that I believe? Hopefully watch the way I try to love other people. I know that you believe Christ and love Christ because I see how you love one another. It's the evidence of our faith, John says. Believing and loving proves and enables abiding in God and God abiding in us. Believe and love. Love for others. And this is important. If you're writing down a big idea today, I'm about to give it to you. But love for others is the responsibility of the believer. It's the responsibility. If I believe into Jesus, it then becomes not just the overflow, but also the responsibility that comes with believing. See, we live in a world and in a country where we think that we can do those things separately, that we can believe, but that doesn't ask anything of us. It's why I tell Nick and I talk about when we're planning worship, we say, we love the songs that at the end say we, because we need to be reminded that this faith is a we faith and not an I faith. And it's not about just me and Jesus, I, Jesus is mine. It's also Jesus is ours. And I'm to love one another. That flows, that's the responsibility of believing Christ, John says. Believe and love. And so the big idea today, if you're writing anything down today, is this. In a healthy, loving family and in a healthy, loving church, responsibilities are privileges. It is a responsibility to love each other in the room. Look around. Take a look, a quick look around. It's okay to look around. Look around. It is your responsibility to love one another. Is there somebody you look around and go, oh, they're not here today. I wish they were here. I like it when they're here. It's our responsibility to reach out to them and pray for them and encourage them. But it's also a privilege. It's also a privilege. And I want to tell you, that makes a lot of sense to me. Because I grew up in the Sanders family. Uh, My grandparents were Onus, 
terrible name means burden. I don't know why my great-grandmother chose to name my grandfather Onus Burden Sanders. He literally weighed two pounds at birth, and they carried him around in 1923 in a shoebox for the first few weeks of his existence. So surely the birth process could not have been that much of a, a burden to her. But my granddad was Onus. My grandmother was Harriet. I grew up in a loving, healthy, though imperfect, but loving, healthy family. And there were responsibilities that came with being in the Sanders family, but they were also privileges. And I want to tell you eight responsibilities slash privileges that came with being part of the family that I was part of. And I think they parallel over into the church, the responsibilities and privileges of being part of God's family. Now, let me tell you that Onus and Harriet's story starts about 1940. And my grandmother uh, was a city kid from Macon, Georgia, and her family wasn't rich, but they were pretty, they were pretty well-to-do coming out of the Great Depression. And so my grandmother had a car, which was like bougie in Macon, Georgia around 1940. And she and her best friend, Louise Greer, were riding around Macon, Georgia one day. And here's a couple of young guys out hitchhiking. This is when you could hitchhike and it not be an axe murderer. And it was like, this is before, you know, hitchhikers were murderers and people who picked up hitchhikers were murderers. And like, you could actually hitchhike. And my grandmother, Harriet, comes up on this young guy and his buddy, Onus. And, and she and her girlfriend, her friend, Louise, gave Uh, gave them a ride. She's a Baptist. He's a Methodist. She's a city kid. He's a country boy. She weighs uh, 150 pounds. He weighs 105 pounds. uh, And that's with like pockets full of coins and weights and issues. He didn't weigh anything. And they became um, fast friends and they began to date and married shortly thereafter. They married in Macon, Georgia. He, was, he became a Baptist. He's t- he told me stories about that for years. He went off shortly after, the war, um, after they got married to World War II. Like so many others in America, they had three kids right after the war. My Uncle Frank, my mom, and, uh, and then my Uncle Wayne. And uh, th- they all ended up getting married. They had combined seven grandkids. I was the third. I was the first grandson. And by the time I came along, family traditions, responsibilities, privileges were well-established in our family. There were a few things that came with being part of the, San- of the Sanders family, and those things were set. The first one was belonging, the privilege of belonging to that family. And it's similar, the privilege of belonging to God's family, the church. Now listen, there were ups and downs in, that, in our family. There really were. There really were. There were some moments where life was just hard. There were some moments where some of us did dumb things that were tough. But you know what? We never questioned whether we belonged. When my mom got divorced in 1981, and in 1981, Baptists in Georgia did not get divorced. And my mom got divorced because my dad struggled with a lot of issues and a lot of demons, and uh, they had to split up like that was traumatic for my mom in a hundred different environments in the South in 1981. Let me tell you where it was never traumatic was at home in the Sanders family. It was never traumatic there. In fact, I remember being a kid. I was four when they got divorced. I remember my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather when I was uh, little um, saying maybe they would change my last name from Mangrum back to Sanders. And my mom thought about that and wrestled with that for a long time and ultimately decided not to. And, uh, and I'm thankful she didn't. Um, 
But I remember that the privilege of belonging was so powerful that even the most broken situation could not carry over, like it didn't carry the weight of that last name. The last name, the name meant more than the struggle. And in God's family, the church, the privilege of belonging, I am a Christian, he calls me by name, we are brothers and sisters, that responsibility of belonging is a privilege. And in our lowest moment where we're like, oh man, I have screwed this thing up, I'm out. Let me tell you, in that moment, God doubles down. He says, I have named you after me. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I love you. Belonging was privilege. We were made to belong to God. John says, believe and to his church, love one another. And that is to actively belong. Actively belong. So many people are church attenders, but very few actively belong. We're called to actively belong to God's family. Believing compels belonging. That's seen, by the way, in this church and in so many other churches, in joining the church, becoming a member of the church. That's how you show and exhibit the responsibility and privilege of belonging. Number two, second privilege slash responsibility in my family growing up was welcoming one another. Same in the church. This is a responsibility and a privilege to welcome one another. My cousin, Laura, she was the oldest. She was the first to get married. She ended up marrying this guy named Cash, Cash Miller. Uh, such a, you know where he's from? He's from Texas. Isn't that the most like Texas name ever? This is Cash Miller. I remember when t- uh, Cash was coming to visit the family for the first time. And my mom, God bless her, she was like, I'm afraid I'm going to call him trash. And we were like, mom, that's ridiculous. And all, all morning she was like, don't call him trash. Don't call him trash. Don't call him trash. And she jinxed herself because the moment he walks in, she says, hey, I'm Aunt Beverly. Uh, nice to meet you, trash. I mean, cash. And she did. And she just beat herself up about that all day long. And cash had the blessing of actually becoming one of my mom's favorites because she felt like that was her penance forever. Listen, like in God's family, we get the privilege and the responsibility of welcoming because in God's family, we have no right to be welcomed. There are organizations that we're going to be in in life. And if we're honest, there are organizations where we go, they should be happy I'm on this. I'm on the Little League board. My kids don't even play Little League anymore. I'm not going to lie. I'll be sitting in Little League Zoom meetings, and they'll be like in the second hour of the meeting that sometimes I think this could have been done in about 15 minutes. And I will be sitting there rolling around in my head. These guys should be happy I'm on this. My kid ain't even playing. And I'm, I'm taking minutes in this meeting today. Listen, there's just going to be stuff we join that we're part of that we probably feel like they should be glad we're here. In the family of God, though, we should be glad we're invited. We ought never think God is so lucky to have me in this family. Look what I'm bringing to the party, Jesus. This is awesome. Like, that's never how it's going to work. We have no right to be part of this family and to be welcomed, and yet we are. So we then get to be a welcoming family, a welcoming community. Is it a responsibility? Yes, it is also a privilege. When someone new walks through that door, it is your privilege to meet them. It is your privilege to stop talking to your people and go and meet them. So glad you're here. You want to sit with me and get to know them. And let me tell you just a couple of things about how that plays out. We ought to be, because we've been redeemed so much by Jesus, the most warm and sincere people in the city. Christians ought to be the warmest people in the city. We've joked in, uh, in staff conversation this week, Kayla's 
uh, office over at the First Church is so warm. The other day we went in there, it was like walking into a swamp in a heat wave. I was, and I made fun of her, and she's loving it. She's like, close the door, you're letting my heat out. The other day, she wasn't, a, she wasn't there. She had to do her other job, and I went and I worked in your office because I feel like I've been cold for two weeks, and it felt so good to just go in there and sit. I wanted to take a nap in that one room in that church building. Christians ought to be the warmest, most sincere people in a cold culture. In a transient, we're moving on, we're getting out of here culture, we need to be the warmest, most sincere people. Let me also say, we need to be friends to people and not just friendly to people. There is a difference. It's a privilege not just to be friendly, but to be a friend to people. And then I want to tell you one last thing about our church, because if everybody who calls Christ Church Charlestown showed up on a given Sunday, our church would be somewhere between 35 and 50% non-white. The more diverse we become, whether it's racially, if everybody in Christ Church Charlestown showed up on a given Sunday, we would have people at this point in their zeros, teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and one senior saint, God bless her, who is in her 90s and will outrun all of you and talk trash doing it. Listen, the more diverse we get in age, the more we're going to have to work at this. The more diverse we are socioeconomically, the more we're going to have to work at being friends and welcoming. It's just easier to go with what we know and who we know. God is going to call us to do the hard work. We have the responsibility, but the privilege of welcoming. Third thing I want to tell you today is we have the responsibility and the privilege of gathering. Of gathering. In the Sanders family, in my family growing up, you were there for about 12 days a year. Here they were. You had to be there Christmas. Christmas Eve, actually. It was Christmas Eve. You had to be there Easter Sunday. You had to be there 4th of July. You had to be there Mother's and Father's Days. And then you had to be there on the birthdays. And we clustered them. There were like a lot in April. And so, you know, there were like 12 of us in the family or 15 or something like that. And like three or four, you would cluster. So it was about 12 gatherings that you had to be at. And at those gatherings, we would eat, we would pray, uh, we would party, we would sing, and we would play games. We'd always play cards. My family played spades growing up. I don't know if any of you play cards. Um, we did not play on Sunday. My grandmother was a lifelong Baptist, and Baptists did not play cards on Sunday. I remember at, like, when my grandmother got up into her 70s, and uh, she would let us play cards on Sunday. I was like, Grandma's getting liberal. Grandma's selling out of the gospel. We're playing cards on Sunday. Praise the Lord. This is amazing, right? And so we would gather. It was a privilege to gather. In Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews tells the church, he says, keep gathering. Don't give up the, the regularity of gathering together. And, and, and when we gather, we need to preach the Bible. We need to pray. We need to sing. We need to give. We need to receive communion. We need to baptize. This morning, Ari showed me a video of a kid in a baptistry, and the pastor's there ready to baptize, and the kid's like, I got to do this now. And the kid just dunks, dunks himself or herself. And listen, that's a privilege when we baptize. I love those things. We need to overall keep gathering and loving Christ and loving the church. I don't know how it was for you. Uh, I sit, try to sit toward the front because I get distracted real easy. Um, man, the worship was really good for me today, and I needed it. And I needed to hear you singing behind me to Jesus. That's why we gather. Is it a responsibility to gather? Yeah. It's a privilege, too. We need to prioritize gathering together. Let me tell you, you need this church you're not going to hear me tell you that many times in life. But I'm going to tell you today, you need this church. 
because you need Jesus, and since we can't touch Jesus and see Jesus, we, we, as we believe in the name of, the, of Jesus, then we also need to love one another. You need this church. Let me tell you, this church needs you. You think, man, nobody knows me. I've just been coming. It's like the second time. Nobody knows me here. They don't need me. Yeah, we need you. We need you here. And we need you here a lot. Because there's something in your story and in your gifts and your personality and your walk with God that you have to offer that I don't have. And we need you here. I love it whenever Vaskin comes in on a Sunday. Renee, it always makes Renee Sunday. Renee will always tell me afterwards, and be like, man, I'm so glad Vaskin was here. I don't know what it is about how God has wired you, but it's such a blessing to him. But he needs you here, and you need him, and we need one another. That's powerful. Is it a responsibility to be here and gather together? Yeah. It's a privilege, too. It's a pri- it was a privilege to gather at those Sanders family Christmases and all that stuff. Number four, fourth privilege, caring. It's a privilege and a responsibility to care. I'll tell you, this one's deeply personal for me in a couple of ways. Because my mom was a newly single mom, uh, she needed to be cared for. She was raising two boys. When they got divorced, I was four. My brother was literally zero years old when my parents got divorced. And here was my mom raising two boys, often working three jobs. And life was just hard. I mean, it was just hard. Like, she grinded to make it happen. I never will forget, my mom would tell me, she said, son, if you get in trouble to, at school, and I, I'll never will forget it, she would say to the teacher on the first day of school, if he gets out of line, don't threaten him. She goes, just hit him. Just hit him. And whoever else needs to spank him, that's fine. And she said, and then let me know. And I remember we get in the car after that first day of school, and she said, son, let me just tell you something. If you, get, if you get in trouble at school, you are going to get not one spanking at home. You get a line of spankings. Well, mom, what does that mean? She said, oh, I'm going to wear your butt out. And then I'm going to take you to your granddad, and he's going to spank you. And then I'm going to take you to your Uncle Frank, and he's going to spank you. And then I'm going to take you to your Uncle Wayne, and he's going to spank you. You don't have a dad to give you one spanking. You get a granddad, a mom, and two uncles who are going to wear you out. Listen, that scared the bejesus out of me. And like, I didn't need to be told to get in line and obey at school. To me, that was a little terrifying. Now I never got beat. I got some nice spankings, and I earned every one of them. For my mom, though... That was care. That was care. She was being cared for at the point of her need. And the church is a place where uh, we, we give care and we receive care. As a family, Nat and I and Noah and Owen have received this care from you over and over over the years. And hopefully you have received care from one another. I never will forget one night I was over at Logan Airport picking up somebody from the airport. And I went over to the cell phone lot. And my car battery died. That's a helpless feeling, you guys. And I called Nick, and I was like, bro, listen, I'm really sorry, but I need a hand. And so Nick comes over, and he didn't have real great jumper cables, and we tried to jump the car, and it wouldn't jump. And now I'm like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. What's going on? Oh, Lord. I was praying deeply spiritual prayers at this point, like tapping into the Holy Spirit, and nothing was happening. And so I called Rob Kyle, who comes here on Sundays. And I said, Rob, I'm really sorry. I need help. Will you help me? He's like, JD, I just got home from work. Give me 15 minutes. He, just, he works for the T. He just gotten in. 
comes straight over there, helps me, you know, jump the battery and we leave. Listen, I was a recipient of care. Would they tell you that it was their responsibility? Maybe. Rob would also tell you that was a privilege. Was it a responsibility of me to ask my brother in faith to come and help me? Maybe. Man, it was a privilege to get to know Rob that way. It was a privilege to get to know him. Care is a privilege and a responsibility, and it is tiring. Look around again. This is not a country club. This is an aircraft carrier. It's not a country club of problemless people. We live in a tough world that is like fighting in air warfare and we go and get shot up all week and we try to resist the enemy and live on mission and live by faith in Christ and we come in on Sundays and we land the jet on the aircraft carrier for just a minute and we get refueled and encouraged and then we just hop out of here and fly right back into battle. If you want a country club, go find a country club. This is going to be an aircraft carrier where mission happens. Where, we're, where we live mission and we get the responsibility and the privilege of caring for one another as we land on the aircraft carrier and then launch back out into battle. We receive care and we give care tangibly with our words and with gifts at time and serving one another and time and, a, and affection. It's, it's how we show care. It's how we show the privilege of care. Is everybody doing okay? We're doing all right right now? Uh, can I give you a couple more? Number five. In the Sanders family, there was the privilege slash responsibility of serving. And that happened mostly at holidays and around these meals. Everybody had their thing that they had to bring. Now, I can remember my um, Aunt Pam made this chicken casserole that I, I still love to this day. I can still taste it. I can tell you what my mom made. I hated vegetables. Hated them with a passion. My brother hated them more than I did. So my mom would be in charge of bringing the kid vegetables which were basically vegetables in a can, which I still love to this day. That's the only way I like to eat English peas and uh, to this day, and most of green beans, if I'm being honest. And my mom would take that can, and she would dump it into a thing, put it in the microwave, and zap all the nutritional energy out of it. All the nutrients, all the things that you want from the vegetables were gone. And then they finally tasted delicious to two boys right? Like that was what my mom did. She brought, she served. And then every year, once a year, you had to host. I believe my mom hosted on uh, um, Father's Day. I believe that my uncle Frank hosted on the 4th of July. And I believe my uncle Wayne hosted on Mother's Day. And then my grandparents hosted all the others. We had the privilege of serving. Church in our minds can sometimes be like this. Church can be a scenario where God is the coach and the pastor is the player, and the church is the audience. I'll say it again. God is the coach. If God coaches us up, man, we're going to love the music. If God coaches us up and inspires us, we're going to listen to the sermon. We're going to get something out of this thing. But we are the audience, and we can come in here, and I've done this so many times, and it's like, God, speak to me. I'm listening. And I got just a few minutes, so you better make this quick, Lord. Right? In reality, here's how it works. In reality, the pastors and the staff are the coaches. You guys are the players, and God is the audience. God is the fans. And when we worship, we're worshiping him, and he's the audience, and he should be delighted. 
I asked Miss Linda this morning, I said, Miss Linda, who are you cheering for tonight in the game? She, she smirked at me. She said, I'm from Ohio. I am only cheering for the Bengals. My wife is cheering for the halftime show. She is cheering for a quick first and second quarter so that she can watch the halftime show. The money that will be 3.5 million Americans are, ga- are betting on tonight's game. The most ever, by far. So many people are deeply invested into this game. As fans, we want to see something great. Listen, I think that the Lord Jesus in all of his glory every Sunday morning about 1014 pulls up a chair and says, I can't wait to watch what these people are about to bring me. Come on, guys. Don't hold anything back. I've been waiting all week to see what you're going to do. And then about 1125 when you walk out of here, I think he does it again. He's like, Oh man, we've landed on the aircraft carrier. Hopefully we've heard and we've, these people are encouraged. They've encouraged one another. They believed into me and they've loved one another. I'm about to launch them out. And God, the audience is like, man, it's about to be good. This is going to be good. It's our responsibility and privilege to serve one another and not be a sideline sitter. If you want to know where to serve, listen, nobody's made to do nothing here. We need you to serve. We need more greeters. We need more, uh, golly, we need more kids workers. We need more people. We, we're looking for a couple of different staff positions right now. We need more people who will help with security. As we go into a larger space, we need to make sure it's secure. Ask, look around, ask again, and jump in. Number six, the sixth responsibility and privilege, honoring one another. About my 12th birthday, my granddad fell. He fell off a 16-foot ladder onto, uh, he had a chainsaw, in his hand, and he fell. The chainsaw fell first. He fell right beside the chainsaw, just missed it. Landed on concrete. Broke his hips, broke his back. He was in his 60s at the time. He nearly died. It really was a miracle he lived. Um, and I remember that probably happened in the, about the middle of the fall. And never will forget that Christmas. Christmas Eve at my grandparents was always the same. My granddad would always wear like a Mr. Rogers sweater, and everybody partied, and it was great. That year, though, my granddad, I remember distinctly him sitting in the uh, big wingback chair in the corner of a living room in his pajamas with his walker in front of him. I just distinctly remember us all thanking God that he had lived and, and, and honoring him. Usually it was just all about the games and laughing and the food and being together as a family. I distinctly remember that year, several of us just going up, Granddad, I'm so glad you're here. Do you need anything tonight? What can we do for you? That year, we had the privilege of honoring and the responsibility of honoring my granddad. I want to tell you, it is a privilege and a responsibility that we honor in the church one another and even that we honor our leadership. So this is a little awkward for me, this one. But let me encourage you. It's an honor to, uh, it's, it, it is an honor to honor your leaders. It's a privilege to honor good and biblical pastors. And you might say, well, what's a good or a biblical church leader? The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5, what makes a good church leader. There are bad church leaders. If you find yourself in a church led by an unbiblical bad church leader, find another church. I hope you stay here forever. I want to be a good and godly pastor. I pray often that I don't drop the ball on that. If God ever leads you away, I will be your pastor until you find another church but I'm going to challenge you and pray for you and encourage you to find a good and godly pastor. It's my privilege to do that. Should I ever compromise my integrity and disqualify myself as your pastor, 
I hope that you have me removed from this office and you hire another good and godly biblical pastor. Whoever leads this church, I hope that you honor them well. It is an honor to get to lead you. How do you do that? Pray for us, share the gospel, encourage one another to live out your faith joyfully. Can I just tell you for Nick and for Kayla and I, I think one thing you can do that's deeply encouraging is when you come to us sometimes and say, not that was a good sermon or that was good music, but God really spoke to me when you said, God really ministered to me through not that was an awesome song. I love, I know the band loves hearing that. But if you go up to Carson or Noah or Kayla or Natalie or Carla or Nick or whoever's playing, you say, man, God really ministered to me when you did that. That's power. That is, I'll tell you, that honor, like nothing honors me more than knowing that God allowed me to speak to you, um, that he spoke through me to you. Honor your leaders. Number seven, witnessing. I'll tell you a funny story. My granddad uh, had a friend named Billy McDaniel. Billy was a railroad man, which railroad men in the South, uh, not the most always moral of men, but Billy had a wife named Dot. And my dad and his, uh, my granddad and his best friend, Ted Tao, decided they were going to reach all their peers in Macon that they could. They were going to share the gospel with them. And so they said, well, how are we going to do that? They said they were going to start going and visiting people's homes. And so my granddad and Ted Tao go to this guy, Billy McDaniel's house, on, it was like a Tuesday night about 6.30. They knock on the door and Billy says, his wife Dot says, you guys come in. They said, we're about to sit down for dinner. You just want to, we didn't have enough food, but you guys want to sit around the table. So Ted and my granddad and Billy and Dot are sitting there around the table. And my granddad invites Billy McDaniel to come to Sunday school the next Sunday. And Billy says, I'm gonna pass on that. And my granddad says, oh, I'm coming every week until you come to Sunday school. And Billy kind of, look defiantly as any Southern Railroad guy would do. And my granddad looks at Dot and says, hey, Dot, what time you guys eat dinner every Tuesday night? She says, about this time, about 6.30. My grandpa says, we'll be here for dinner next Tuesday night. And Billy will be here every Tuesday night until you come to Sunday school. Billy came to Sunday school pretty quickly thereafter. <laughs> Billy ended up giving his life to Jesus. Billy and uh, we, call, we called him Uncle Billy though they were not blood-related. It took me a long time to figure that out. They became best friends. They bought single-wide trailers on Lake Sinclair right across from one another. We grew up with them every weekend. Us and the McDaniel grandchildren would spend time on the weekend on the pontoon boats riding around Lake Sinclair. Christmas Eve, the McDaniels come. I literally didn't know that they weren't uh, family. But it was witnessing and faith and friendship that made them family. But it started with my granddad getting out of his comfort zone and making someone else extremely uncomfortable. Initiating that relationship, that faith became friendship, became family. Live out your faith, speak your faith, invite others in with you. Is it a responsibility? Yeah. Is it a privilege? Yeah. Let me give you one last one. Sending. And this was the most interesting one for our family. My cousin Stacy went for four years as a missionary to Thailand. Never will forget, like, the excitement, but the mixed emotions that everyone felt about her leaving and going half a world away to go share the gospel. I remember when um, God called me to be a pastor, and I had to go down in front of my church and share that with our church, and I remember my granddad being so emotional over that. My brother became a pastor as well. God called Nat and I to move pretty far away from family. And that was a decision that was difficult relationally. I remember my mom saying, I will never fly to Boston. 
and I will never fly in the winter to Boston. And I remember the day we got her to fly in, uh, Miss Patricia, and it's, it was the biggest snow we'd seen up until two weeks ago. It snowed two feet. And my mom goes, I guess I'm not going to be able to come. And I was like, Mom, they got you. It's Boston. They can deal with this. And she was like, how am I going to get there? I was like, you're going to fly on the airplane. It's going to land at the Logan Airport. I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to drive you to Charlestown. And we, I mean, it was like a snow bomb had gone off. And we come pick her up. She'd never seen anything like it in her life. She's from middle Georgia. The most snow she had ever seen was like six inches. And here was two feet and shoveled and, you know, cars have marked their spaces and all of it. That, that part of being in the Sanders family was the privilege and responsibility of sending when God called. And a couple weeks ago in the membership class, Nicole said, hey, do I, do I have to go out on mission if I'm part of this church, no, we're not going to send Nicole to Thailand unless God calls Nicole to go to Thailand and then we will send her to Thailand. Because healthy churches send their best. Healthy churches send their best. And churches have the privilege of sending money and prayers and teams and stuff and people. You know in this church, for every dollar you give, about 20% of it either goes to missionaries, church planters, or to serve this neighborhood. We take that really, really seriously because it's a privilege to send out. Let me just tell you a couple more things. I've got two asterisks. If you'll throw this one up, hope that that first asterisk. Listen, nobody does all eight of these perfectly. If you hear this and you're like, I can't do that. Listen, I can't either. I don't do these things well. And that's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is only good news because our failure is bad news. And that's not just sin, that's inadequacy. If you say, I can't do this, Join the club. We can't do this. But let me share you one last one with you. It was a privilege to be in that family, and it's a privilege to be part of this family, and it came with some responsibilities. And any church that doesn't leave you with these privileges and responsibilities is not a healthy church. A church that just allows you to come and sit and consume and never be deeply invested like its family is an unhealthy church. And so there's parts of this that I'm like, oh, it's uncomfortable to ask them to give or to ask them to honor their leaders or to ask them to be willing to go. Listen, it may be uncomfortable, but it's unbiblical if I ask less of you. Believing into Jesus requires that we love one another. And that is a responsibility, but it is a privilege. Let me pray for us. Lord, I love you. I thank you that in this room, there are people who are seriously open about what, they, what you're doing in their life, Lord. I pray that for the people who, maybe the first thing they need to do today is believe into Jesus, not just believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again, but believe their life into you, rest their life in you, God. I pray for people who need to do that today, that they would turn for themselves, like they would just in the posture of their hearts right now, confess, God, I know that I've uh, I need to believe you. I'm turning from self-rule. I'm turning from everything that has guided me in living my life. And I'm trusting Christ. I'm trusting his death. And I'm asking him to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I thank you that if our hearts turn just a little bit towards you, you meet us right there and you receive us into your family. Lord, if people need to do that today, that first commandment in John, 1 John 3, to believe into the name of the Son, I pray that people would do that. Lord, for others, 
We need to do that second part. We need to actively love one another and love your church through belonging and through gathering and caring and serving and honoring and witnessing and sending God. I pray that we would love actively and that we would act on these privileges, God. And for myself and for Nick and Kayla, for the other people who are in leadership in this church, God, would you help us to call one another to these responsibilities and privileges, God. And as we do it, as we come up under the leadership and lordship of the Father God, we become closer as brothers and sisters. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.